watchers in the fourth dimension. Revitalizing is just what I need. I can't seem to take my eyes off it. I don't want to take my eyes off it. Well, now I know you're mad. I just wanted to make sure. Hello and welcome to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And one thing's for sure, he's not going to collect 50 pounds from you or anybody else. As you may have guessed from Riley's soundbite there, we are back to kick off Season 5 of our adventure through all of Doctor Who with the opener of Season 5. It's the Tomb of the Cybermen. Preparation for this story started very shortly after the filming of The Moonbase, when the production team decided that the Cybermen were definitely the most worthy successors to the Daleks, and deserving of a third adventure. Kit Pedler, who co-wrote The Moonbase, was swiftly commissioned to write a story called The Cybermen Planet, which was to pick up on an ultimately deleted reference in The Moonbase to the Cybermen having colonised another planet, Telos, prior to the destruction of their home planet, Mondas, in the 10th planet. Thus, we have one of the earliest of Official instances of fan wank. <laughs> Peddler had very little experience in writing for television, so former story editor Jerry Davis joined him to co-write the story. Jerry Davis was now allowed to do this since he was no longer story editor. Between them, they expanded on the Cyberman's hierarchy, adding the Cyber Controller, as well as the Cybermats, which were modelled on the Silverfish insects, and designed to be a little bit more friendly for commercial exploitation. Additionally, we have a bit of a shuffle with our production staff. I think we've previously mentioned that the BBC had decided to groom Peter Bryant to be producer, and they decided here to give him a trial run in the role. Innes Lloyd stepped aside for four episodes, and Bryant stepped up to the plate. Given the restrictions on holding multiple roles, his assistant, Victor Pemberton, stepped up to be the story editor for this story. As had become tradition by this point, this story was not actually recorded as part of the fifth production block, but at the very end of the fourth production block, immediately after they had finished filming The Evil of the Daleks. It was briefly considered that they might end season four with this story, having originally intended to hold it over, but then they decided to go with their original intent. Returning to the director's chair was Morris Barry, who had, of course, directed the Cybermen's previous outing, The Moonbase. As designer, we have Martin Johnson, providing his only contribution to the show, and we have co-costumers in the shape of Sandra Reed, providing her eighth and final contribution to the show, so we'll be saying farewell to her. Dorothea Wallace, who, well, this is the only time she showed up, and she did do a bit more sci-fi in the shape of Out of the Unknown and Doomwatch, but she didn't have the most stellar career on TV. We have our short summary, and this is in my hands. In order to confirm that the bad guy wants to unleash the Cybermen, the Doctor unleashes the Cybermen, lets them kill a few people before putting them back into hibernation. It really is that simple. Amazing how some good direction can elevate this kind of thing into a masterpiece. Am I right? <laughs> Episode 1. I think this might be one of the first instances where we actually get an age of the Doctor? Because he mentions being 450 years old. Yeah, I think it is. Aside from the 200-year diary that we saw before, I believe you are right. Yep. So that's exciting. Not as exciting as a quarry. <laughs> yeah. Plus one quarry quarry. Yeah, there we go. Before we get to that lovely quarry, did anyone else feel a little bit of nostalgia when we had an actual character moment between our three main characters, <laughs> just like we used yes. to get back in the Ian and Barber days? It was outstanding. When they're hanging out in the TARDIS and then talking about going into the wardrobe, because I love whenever they talk about the wardrobe, to make sure that she's comfortable. And I'm like, this is so cute. 
It's very cute. I like that we see a little bit more of that later in the story as well. It's not just a one-off at the beginning. It's not just paying lip service. They, at least in this story, are interested in, in providing that characterization for Victoria. It's nice. Speaking of Victoria's wardrobe, I have to mention that my wife was watching this serial with me and she had to make mention that Victoria, based on what time she comes from, the dress that she goes into would be something she would feel very uncomfortable in because it has less coverage than a chemise that she would have worn back then. Just wanted to put that out there. And we do see that discomfort. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They are starting to handle her pretty well in that they give her a little bit of not really knowing what's going on, a little bit similar to what Jamie had done, but she still has a spine to her. So I really enjoyed that. And we'll get to that in, I think, later episodes. But she's not just a, a damsel, so to speak. That's true. But then we do get to move on to our quarry and the sad death of a character I named Bloke McRedshirt. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. The electrocution effect on the door was nice, though. I liked it. It did spread out like it was an electrical current. Yeah, they had some animated stuff going on in this serial. With this, they had the Cybermen and their beams. And their electricity. Yes. The electricity was well done. The timing of the music actually worked really well. And considering that they only use stock music, I actually think they did a fantastic job. Did anyone else notice that the detonator had a dial on it that turned down the score? (laughs) (laughs) I did not. Because that happened at the same time and it was awesome. Don't you love it when stuff happens in the shot and it's like, oh, that's affecting the music because I think that's rather fun sometimes. It was cool. Let's talk about um, Motley Crue in the expedition because it's the same old fascination with having a multicultural crew, except this time the Eastern Europeans are clearly from the get-go the bad guys. I found the dynamic between the archaeological crew just amongst themselves to be so unusual because... They are just so cranky and pissy with each other. It felt like a reality TV show. This is the story of seven strangers picked to go to tell us and have their lives (laughs) taped to find out what happens when they stop being polite and start getting real. That's what it felt like. Except for Perry, who just like doesn't pay attention to anyone else. He's focused. (laughs) You've got a lot of different factions here. You've got the archaeologists who are rather spoiled and Viner's a complete whiner the whole time. Uh, You've got (laughs) McRedshirt, who we all knew really well. Then you've got our, I just called them the Brotherhood of Logicians, where you had had Klieg, Miss Kefton, our evil woman, and then Toberman, who in my fanfic version was Kamel's distant relative. But then you've got the flight crew, of I'm just going to say it, there, there are some weird racial overtones in this, and all I know is every time the stereotypical Americans showed up, I feel like I was being personally attacked. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm wondering whether that was the perception of Americans in Britain in 1967. Because- I think it was, because it's it's the equivalent of when an American does a bad British accent. Yeah. It's a bit cringy. That's what was happening here with with the flight crew. It's not just that, though, but the, the captain also has just the weirdest vocabulary. 
Yes. And in his form of speaking, like sometimes his American accent gets a little crazy. It struck me so much. I did some research. Captain Hopper was played by a man who was actually born in Austria. And then a person who was a Doctor Who script editor named Andrew Cartmill wrote a book called Through Time, an unauthorized and unofficial history of Doctor Who. Oh, I have that. Yes. In that he talks about the Captain Hopper character and says that he frequently uses the word guy and what Cartmill called odd fake American idioms. Like, it's not exactly peaches. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to quote Cartmill, he said, in a way that suggests these English writers have never traveled across the Atlantic and have paid precious little attention to the films or books that have flowed the other way. Captain Hopper was magnificent to me because he was it was almost like an android trying to fake being human. That's how weird and off-putting it was. <laughs> So it wasn't just me. I'm, I'm no, glad because no. as soon as he came on screen, I'm like, oh, man, why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. It was interesting because like the way that he spoke was completely off the wall and things like that. But he had like that fancy hair and you're just like, <laughs> OK, he looks pretty. But then he speaks and you're like, what is happening? <laughs> now, while we're talking about things that we liked and disliked, I know the Cybermen are ostensibly our bad guy characters. But you got to admit, it was really nice of them to invite the kids from local kindergarten down to decorate the outside of the tomb. That was really thoughtful. It was the Cybermen outreach program? Yes. (laughs) They are kind of vain for emotionless creatures. Let's plaster our image everywhere. They went to the Votan School of Branding. (laughs) It's important. That aside, I know why it's there. This is a mummy movie. Yeah. That's all this is. That's the equivalent of your hieroglyphics from start to finish. Mm -hmm. It's just a a mummy flick. It's wonderful. I really liked the design, starting with the door going in. So, yeah, we can call it a mummy. We can call it tried and true and whatnot. But it works. I really enjoyed it. One of the strongest parts of this entire serial is the set design is so very interesting and striking and leads to one of the most iconic shots of the show. Not just the serial, I mean the whole show. Just to tag on to Don talking about this being a mummy movie, I think it particularly calls Hammer's mummy movies to mind, mm-hmm. most notably The Mummy and The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, which obviously Hammer was was huge at the time. So I think that's very, very deliberate. Mm-hmm. They even had the stereotypical cliched horror bit of, you three go down that hallway labeled <laughs> certain death. You other three go down that other hallway labeled absolutely certain death. <laughs> And girls, you stay here because you can't go anywhere. (laughs) Exactly. Until Victoria says, you know what? No, the girls can form their own party and we're going to do our own thing. And I was like, yes. And then she she promptly does all the stupid shit you really shouldn't do. Oh, I wonder what this is. Let me climb into it. I prefer to have someone who takes action as opposed to being terrified of everything. I'll take it. That's true. We skipped over one of the best scenes in the whole thing, which is, you know what I'm talking about, when the (laughs) doctor and Jamie head into the tomb and each one of them Mm. thinks they have Victoria's hand. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's so sweet. I love it. Oh, man, that was wonderful. Especially the moment they realize it and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) There's so many good moments like that. I really like the doctor's oh, snap moment with Klieg, where he describes his <laughs> yes. method, which was keeping my eyes open, my mouth shut. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. And there was one thing, it was a little bit earlier, but right before they go in, Jamie like pulls Victoria aside and is like explaining to her about things like going on in the background. And I just thought that was like kind of nice to see that Jamie's like trying to bring her up to speed so that she's not just not aware of what's going on. So I thought that was fun. 
Oh, yeah. The Doctor is just running rings around Cleek through this entire episode. <laughs> For someone who's supposedly so intelligent, he's really not. It's because he's arrogant. He oh, believes yeah. he's so intelligent that he makes really stupid mistakes. And he refuses to admit that he's wrong. Yes. What's wonderful in this story, just with the Doctor, is how he manipulates Cleek. He also just lurks at the edge of shots a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. There's that wonderful scene where Kaftan is starting to pull levers once she's trapped Victoria, and you just kind of see him lurking before he jumps in and stops her. It's really good direction. Also... All the people involved here, they can't help but pull levers and push buttons. They just can't help do. I mean, all of them, like the people that should, all of them, and all of them should know better. It it was like the Ren and Stimpy joke of like Space Madness, (laughs) don't press the button. They just can't help themselves. They just put them in front of a panel. They're going to just pull every single lever. A red candy-like button. Exactly, and it even ends with Captain when the controller Cybermen flips a lever. She waits for him to slowly turn around, and then when she flips it back. She isn't doing it like with an anger in her face or she's like smiling like like a precocious little kid. It was so strange. Well, and it was strange and also because they chastised Victoria for for touching things and yet they're sitting there flipping levers. <laughs> what is wrong with you guys? Most of archaeology <laughs> is flipping levers. <laughs> That really takes us to that final scene that leads to the cliffhanger where Jamie and I think it was Hayden, was that his name? They were just pushing buttons, flipping levers, suddenly hypnotizing shapes and crap come up and just sitting there thinking, yeah, no good is going to come of this. Oh, you mean in the psychedelic carnival shooting gallery? (laughs) Yes. Which was so wonderful. I loved it. I was like, this is totally ridiculous and insane, but it was so much fun. And then when when Jamie and him are experimenting with the different lovers and they're shielding their faces, (laughs) the doctor comes in and it's like, no, don't touch that. And Jamie's like, I already did it. I already have. It's too late. (laughs) (laughs) No one has any concern about anything at all. (laughs) until Hayden gets shot. In the back. In the back. Which he was not expecting. All right, episode two. Yeah, episode two, as as the doctor is solving the mystery of the person being shot in the back and putting it all together, I love that the doctor provides a disclaimer to everyone and says, all right, it's about to get dangerous here, so anyone that has the option to leave, you can leave. Not you, Jamie. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) like uh don't mind if i do (laughs) he's so smart i like how this early in the story i mean we're at the beginning of episode two and viner is already just completely unhinged can you imagine what it was like being trapped on the ship with him during the ride over here (laughs) because this is not new behavior no Vine is played by Cyril Shapps, who is just like the archetypal nervous Englishman. We see him a few more times in Doctor Who playing the exact same role, effectively. <laughs> mm. If you're really good at something, just keep doing it. And man, he just, I was like, buddy, you just need to have some tea, take a nap, get yourself <laughs> out of this situation because this is not the place for you. Right. I think he was expecting uh. a lot more of using one of those little brushes and just carefully <laughs> yeah. moving sand aside. The other thing I love about this scene is when the Doctor decides to do a second test of it, you see the gun come out and the entire set just kind of wobbles. I thought that (laughs) that was like, ah, this is our first instance of a truly wobbly set. I blame shoddy (laughs) cyber engineering. 
Yeah. Yes. Highly experimental. We can only get the gun to work if there's a if there's a wobble. Just that powerful. Shaking yeah. the whole area. We find this little weird cyber mat thing. Yes. First off, I find them adorable. It's the googly they're really eyes. Terribly made, but they're wonderful and so cute. If anyone out there knows of a cyber mat mouse, just if you could email us. Send us the link. We definitely want some. Yes, please. How about a Cybermat Roomba? So the doctor tells Victoria not to touch it. And so what does she do? She stuffs it into her bag. To be fair, he says, I would leave that alone if I were you. Not quite the same thing. (laughs) It doesn't quite impart the same level of danger. It leaves some wiggle room and it could be the doctor manipulating her to actually pick it up because the doctor's known to do that. That's true. That is true. And so in comes in the captain and he's like, 72 hours to fix the ship. Everything's gone to hell. Because some character had balled up the fuel pumps. (laughs) And this is where we get the phrase, it's not exactly peaches on the ship. Nope. Ah. We need to create a American idiom generator for him. Just <laughs> like Captain Captain Hopper saying that would that would be wonderful. So I know that the Doctor insinuates that Toberman sabotaged the ship, but do we actually ever find out who did, or is that just left kind of hanging through the rest of the story? He is shown sneaking in the background to get out of the yeah. tombs right at the beginning, so I, yeah. it's got to be him. And he does say it is done almost <laughs> in his first scene. It's pretty obvious. Yeah, it, yeah. It, only you know one third of his entire speaking lines right there. <laughs> But again, it's because he was ordered to. It's not because that's just what he does as being who he is. It's because Captain told him to. Yep. Hang on. We we have a second story in a row where we have a giant, almost mute, extremely strong black man. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was about to. It's understandable for the time period for this to happen, maybe the course of like five years worth of episodes for it to literally happen back to back. Yeah, it's not a good look. No. No. Mm-mm. Not that anyone would have been able to go back and compare it to the previous serial, but yeah, they're they're pulling from that well a little too much. It was uncomfortable to a level that, sorry to skip forward, but when, when Toberman is converted into a Cyberman, sort of, before they pulled that sheet up, I was getting really nervous. I was thinking like, this better not damn be a, a Cyberman that's like black metal, not silver metal. Because I'm like, come on, folks. <laughs> We're still a few years away from the black exploitation trend. One thing I found very striking is that we it's called to him the Cybermen. We're talking about the Cybermen, but let's be honest, they're not really the the true antagonists of this story. Oh, absolutely oh, not. No. They are they are a secondary force in their own named story. They're out villained by a woman who looks like she was on vacation in Florida in the sixties. <laughs> and Cleek who yes. gets one gun and thinks he can bend the Cybermen to his will. Oh my god. We'll get to it a little bit later because I, I think it's more in the third and fourth episode, but every single time he's like, oh, well, they'll listen to me now. Well, they didn't listen to you the first time. What makes you think that just, no, that's not how this works. Not to delve too deeply into themes and recurring themes, this reminded me a lot of Power of the Daleks in which our main yeah. monsters aren't the bad guys. It's yeah. human hubris. Yeah. Even after they've been shown that hey, waking the Cybermen up is a very bad idea, they still can't accept the fact that they were wrong. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I thought was really interesting here was if you look at Star Trek and the Borg, Borg are always referred to as a hive mind. 
Klieg describes the tomb as looking like a honeycomb and the Cybermen as being like bees waiting to wake up from their winter hibernation. You talk about the Cybermen and, you know, it's human hubris thinking they can use them. There's this theme in Star Trek of the Borg as being this kind of unstoppable tide and, you know, you can't force something like that to go against its own nature. It's going to come back and serve its own interests. There's a lot talked about of the Borg being based on the Cybermen. And to me, a lot of that comes from this story in particular. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. As we get to the end of the second episode, you have their little tomb, which is uh, basically a, like a oh. little honeycomb. That is such a wonderful scene, though. It really is. I really wanted to touch on that because the unfreezing process, them waking up, the music is on point. The fact that they have to like break through, I'll call it a membrane. I don't know exactly what they really meant for it to be. They're sealed for freshness. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yes. it's cyberware. It looked really great. It sounded great. You felt a lot of things going on whenever that was happening. I thought it was wonderfully done. One of the best shots in Doctor Who history. Also, I really love the Cyber Controller's blood vessel helmet. <laughs> yes. That's just such yep. an awesome design. I still wish they would get rid of the claws, but other than that, yeah. I, the design's great. The design of the Cybermen hasn't changed that much since the moon base. It's certainly not as radical as the 10th planet to the moon base. Supposedly, that famous shot was done in one take. <gasps> oh, that's cool. Wow. That's very impressive supposedly they might have done like a rehearsed piece that wasn't recorded and then did one recording but i mean it's it's all impressive as they're like climbing down those not very well stepped ladders (laughs) in those suits i'm surprised they didn't have like five cut shots of them like falling off i can see them only doing that that once because they've got that membrane as julie put it with another cyberman logo on it So they're not going to want to remake that too much. If there were any bloopers, I'm sure it was shown at the holiday party (laughs) at the end of that season for the season wrap party. One thing I do want to touch on is Viner and his tragic death at the hands of Klieg, in case you hadn't figured out that Klieg is the worst. (laughs) I think Klieg had to room with him on the ship. And so this had nothing to do with him messing with the control panel. I would like to nominate Viner's extreme over-the-top nervousness for the camp count. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, we'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. A, a tepid yes. One thing I do want to note here as well is Victoria is surprisingly a really good shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One shot and she kills the Cyberman. I'm like, wow, that is impressive. And then she leaves the gun. as she runs out to find the captain because yes, let's get the Americans to save us. Who don't listen to her at all. Oh, but she has some great comebacks, but we'll get to that next episode. Oh, she does. She does. And uh, just for the score, at this point, there have been three human deaths, not a single one of them directly killed by a Cyberman. One killed by a door, one killed by fooling around with Cyberman lovers, and then one killed by Klieg. It's a mummy movie. They've got to be killed by the traps in the tomb. That's how these stories go. Aside from the cyber controller's veiny head. Why did you have to put it like that? Oh, I'm I'm about to make it much, much worse. Did anyone notice that the ice all over his face looked kind of sketch? Oh, God. Not not sketch, but just for a second, it looked like he had a big mustache, like a Western (laughs) style thing. And I was almost disappointed that he didn't. Well. Moving on. I'm sorry I took us to the gutter. You belong (sighs) to us. You shall be like us, cliffhanger. In episode three is where we find out that the entire cyber tomb is a trap for superior intellects. 
Again, this reminded me of Power of the Daleks, I believe, because the Cybermen are playing the long game. Oh, yeah. yeah. They set this up for hundreds, if not thousands of years. They're like, it doesn't matter how long it takes. Once we find that intelligent species, that's what we're going to do. I'm like, wow, they were willing to do that. Equally, I feel like it's kind of, you have to be logical and smart to get in, but equally you have to be kind of dumb. (laughs) The Cybermen are known for converting other races into Cybermen. This is clearly a trap. If you're smart, you're not even going to go there. It kind of depends on how much is known about the Cybermen, though. That's true. And you are once again underestimating human stupidity. (laughs) Yeah. Which, if the past few months have shown us anything, you just can't do that. This is very true. This is quite striking. All this talk about stupid humans being lured in by curiosity and and alien intelligence, putting them through traps. and This is the blueprint for the movie Prometheus. I can see that. Yeah. (laughs) Ridley Scott, come on. Well, we know he he worked on Doc 2 in the very beginning. Oh, really? Ridley Scott did? Yeah, he was was originally down to design the Daleks. One of the things I loved in this was Victoria's interactions with the captain. Oh, she Mm. really gave him a piece of her mind so first he's like calling her Vic and she's like yeah no my name is not Vic please stop we're not doing that but I think my best comment was Victoria's not really liking the casual misogyny so Anthony Hmm. back in you know one of those earlier episodes you were trying to say that Jamie was trying to be misogynistic this is what misogyny looks like in the interaction with the Cybermen, it's around the same time because it kind of cuts between Victoria and Captain Hopper and the Doctor and the team in the tomb Mm mm-hmm I know I joked about a huge amount of fan wank earlier, but the Cybermen talk about how they know the Doctor from the moon base, and they refer to how he destroyed their first planet. I mean, they they really are going with the continuity references here in a way that I'm not sure we've really had reference on screen in Doctor Who before. Even with the Daleks reappearing, they haven't really talked about things the Doctor had previously done and made direct references to previous stories. Yeah, it wasn't ever as direct. It was usually just a nod of okay yeah we know who you are doctor because they recognized him when he was you know with the new face so but yeah not not a direct reference i don't think i I think the series at this point is becoming a little more self-conscious of its own continuity we get our big action scene we do yep where Klieg apparently thinks it's going to be just great that he's going to be converted and gets to lead (laughs) because he's dumb This is where I do appreciate that Toberman has been previously established as the token strongman. Despite his strength, he can't defeat the Cybermen, and he's picked up and thrown across the room purely to illustrate how strong the Cybermen are. I thought that was a really nice setup over the course of the previous two episodes. I think Riley would say he was yeeted. I, however, (laughs) based on our previous Star Trek (laughs) reference, would say he got warfed. (laughs) Riley does like to talk about the Cybermen eating people. It is in their nature. It is. <laughs> They're big into it. I also really love how up in the control room, having previously refused to listen to Victoria say, it's behind you when dealing with the Cybermat. <laughs> here, Victoria screams and Captain falls for it because previously she thought Victoria was bluffing and she wasn't. This time she was. I really like that little bit of symmetry. The, there. the double bluff there. Yeah. The- 
the double bluff. And again, Victoria walks this fine line of being a damsel because she does scream a lot and it doesn't seem like she has a good footing. But she comes in with these few things where it's like, okay, I'm not taking this casual misogyny and oh, I can use screams against you to make this work in my way. So I'm not quite completely there with Victoria, but at least they're not making her just a boring character. That's true. She has a bit of a personality. She's brave. She's very kind. And she Mm -hmm. doesn't just scream. Particularly in this third episode, they really take the time. And we were talking about earlier in the very first episode that, hey, let's enjoy this actual bringing back of the TARDIS crew, having moments of character between them and how much we enjoyed that. I believe that the dialogue scene between the Doctor and Victoria is the best scene in this entire serial. Mm -hmm. It provides some needed emotion. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love me some horror movie, crazy action kind of serial. You can't just hit that same note all the time. You have to slow it down, give it a little time to everyone to breathe. And in that moment of breathing and lower energy, we get more character for Victoria, who, once again, this is truly her debut, really, like her real full own serial for her as a companion. I thought that scene was just fantastic. Agreed. And it provides Troughton to show like, you know, emotional depth. I mean, it's fun to see him like run circles around mentally around the other characters, but it shows him showing like a care that I thought was very sweet. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. He's just so good. He's incredibly versatile. Yeah. And I love that he can pull off all these different facets of the character and we get those really nice scenes like that one. When I saw this originally, I have to admit, after going through the available episodes, I wasn't that big of a fan of the second Doctor. But on this watch through, I am really finding a whole new appreciation for it. Knowing that you probably hadn't done any of season four, that's probably given you quite a different perspective on the character. And I I know on this story in particular, I know you've watched this one before, Riley. Don, do I recall you? saying you'd seen this one as well yes yes i had so the only first time of this time around is julie it's me (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean it it definitely reads differently when you are getting the full context of how the second doctor has developed up to this point going back to the fight scene i did love how captain america i I mean captain (laughs) hopper came to the rescue (laughs) with his smoke bombs (sighs) yeah it is a little bit stereotypical i think it's less American coming in to like save the day. Honestly, I think the the prestige of being the captain is a little adds a little bit to it as well. It's like, oh, hey, we've been out with our ship, but oh, we're going to come in and save the day because he also brings in Jam as well. Also, if he doesn't rescue some of them, he's not going to get paid. <laughs> That's very That's true. Saying. But between that fight and that awesome speech, we get the attack of the Cybermats. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which the, they're different because the one that we saw earlier is a different one than Mm -hmm. we get later on in the serial. And I couldn't help but notice in the more up-to-dated Cybermats in this serial, they looked just like the scrubbing bubbles, (laughs) like cleaning mascots. And I looked into this. This serial aired in 1967. The Scrubbing Bubbles commercial mascot, they're the brand, Scrubbing Bubbles, started in 1968. In my headcanon, it inspired it. Coincidence? Yes, definitely. But it's neat. (laughs) It's 2020 now. The Cybermen are sure playing the long game with us. It's one of the weirdest scenes because you have these 
people who are five, six feet tall cowering from these little tiny creatures, which what we've seen thus far is that they jump on you and do they bite your neck or electrocute you? I wasn't entirely sure exactly what was going on there, but it just, if it wasn't for like the, the music and the drama and everything like that, it would be funny. It was quite well directed. I thought they did some really nice close-ups of them to add some tension. Um, and it's really just a shame that they move so slowly when they're not jumping. Cybermats versus Chumblies, battle to the <laughs> death. <laughs> oh, yes. I read that some of them were basically just uh, armor or a shell put on top of RC cars. Mm-hmm. The actress who plays Victoria would get chased by them when the cameras are off. They would just <laughs> chase her with them. That's hilarious. If I recall correctly, I think they had three different variants because they had the remote controlled ones. They had ones that were pulled along by string and they also had some that were just there to be static props. That's why they were all kind of different sizes. And then in my head, I was just sitting there. I'm like, why don't you just have Victoria shoot them? She's a crack shot. She is. It'll be fine. While the attack of the Cybermats was hilarious, I also found the attack of the Cybermen pretty funny because they sound like a roaming pack of didgeridoos. (laughs) In fact, I'm almost positive that had to be in the sound that they used in order to do that. I mean, it's so distinctive. We also get a wonderful exchange between the Doctor and Jamie with the Doctor talking about how like confused their tiny little minds. You might say that they had a complete mental breakdown and Jamie's just like, ugh. I like the fact that he apologized (laughs) to Jamie for his pun. (laughs) Yes, yes, he did. That was awesome. It was just, again, we talk about the little moments and even if it's funny things like this, it's just nice to see how they interact with each other. It's wonderful. When they're characters and not just plot points. Yes. Yeah, I think it really is a testament to what a double act Troughton and and Fraser Hines have built by this point. It's so good. I'm so excited that we get so much more of this. Two more seasons. And of course, after the Cybermat attack, it brings us to our cliffhanger where Cleek shows up and shoots towards the camera and we're left wondering who he actually shot. <sighs> Cleek, the worst. Yeah. Episode four. And we find out that it was Jim who got shot. It was also kind of an annoying ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's pretty obnoxious in this, except for Parry, who just doesn't care. <laughs> Well, they're all, like I said, they're all just cranky and irritable. Yeah. In all of them. I find it so weird. Why is Perry there, even from a plot perspective? I I don't really understand. He's ostensibly in charge. He's the lead archaeologist. Um, (laughs) But you have Cleeg and Captain pulling their weight because they're funding it. But he didn't seem to be doing a lot of leading, even with them there. He's an academic. Yeah. Okay. His job is to wear tweed and smoke a pipe. Yeah, (laughs) and have a beard. Mission accomplished. We boil this down to Klieg wanting to conquer the Earth. (laughs) In the name of logic. (laughs) For the Brotherhood of Logicians. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can't. I I really, I, I just can't. What's his overall goal in that? To found some kind of logical utopia? I think he just wants power. Which is the usual thing of, oh, we're so smart and no one respects us, so we'll just take over. Can you imagine how boring that world would be if it was just logic? Pretty boring. So V throws shade at Captain, which is wonderful. I love Victoria just being like, you know what? I'm not taking this anymore, Captain. And then we also get 
Jamie uttering the best line of King of the Beasties. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bringing Beasties back. And the doctor <laughs> saying, remind me to teach you how to tie knots. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I did love that because it was just after the cyber controller punched his way out. Yeah. Yes. And Doc's like, oh yeah, you're not so shit, Jamie. <laughs> and they were. If you saw the scene, they were. They didn't stop anything. One of the things that I noticed in, in a lot of this is that Jamie actually didn't do so hot in the serial, if you think about it. So at the very beginning, he's not strong enough to open up the doors and he kind of like makes a fool of himself. And then he's hitting all those buttons and pulling levers and the doctor's like, well, what did you do? He's like, uh, I really don't know. And then another time he's like, oh, I'm big and strong. But then Toberman steps up and he's like, okay, yeah, I'm not strong enough for that. So it's just like <laughs> Jamie over and over just not doing so hot, but he's still great, but he can't beat anything in this serial. <laughs> it's fun. That's true. Yeah. It's also kind of amazed me how no one really seemed to notice Toberman's cyber arm. <laughs> or that he's acting even stranger than usual. I don't think they really paid enough attention to him to notice if he was acting different. Uh, yeah, well. I have a question for you guys. The fact that they have to show the brainwaves on screen between the cyber controller and Toberman, is that a sign of lazy writing? No, that's not lazy writing. That's just not that's just concern that the audience wouldn't be able to pick up on it. It's a visual okay. medium. Yeah. That's fair. I think it'd be a little bit different and if we were to take this and use modern technology to to do this and there would be other ways in order to get it across than maybe something so visual. But especially for that time period, absolutely not. That is why he's seeing him long strands of spaghetti in the air <laughs> by his mind. I do like the overall method behind how the doctor gets Topman to turn on the cyber controller. You know, it's that deep emotional attachment between him and Kaftan after the cyber controller kills her. I have to disagree with you on this one. I enjoy the doctor finding the humanity and someone who may have been may have lost their humanity by some sort of alien force. I just don't understand the emotional connection that Toberman would have to Captain. Maybe it was, was some depth to it, but they describe him in the very first episode as a servant. And she didn't seem like a very good employer. Doesn't seem like a very nice person. But I don't understand why Toberman, how that seems like justice for him or something yeah. wonderful for him to be, break through because it just seems like he's defeating one controller by going back yeah. to his old controller. Riley? I'm going to have to stop you there because asking questions like that is surely going to result in a huge Big Finish miniseries exploring their backstory, <laughs> and we just don't have time for that. Yeah. Uh, I'll write it. Hire me. <laughs> oh my gosh. It also doesn't help that the previous serial had Kamel, who had an actual attachment to Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't fit well because we've seen it on a different occasion where it would make sense. But honestly, I think it's partially an emotional attachment. But again, it's partially a familiarity. And while she was a little bit crazy, she was human and there's humanity there. So I don't mind it quite as much. What I'm saying is that you look at Captain and you look at Toberman, you think about how she behaves. She seems so awful that she won't even do it herself. She'll force Toberman to go ask for someone's manager in a business when she complains. She is a Karen. <laughs> she is totally I mean, a Karen. Look at that hair. Exactly. Karen Kafton. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> See, we're already writing the the prequel, the miniseries that Tom was talking about with her and Toberman. Her name is Karen Captain. So she's feeding into Klieg because no one will take her seriously on Earth. So she's going to let him use the Cybermen to get back at all the people who haven't given her the respect she deserves in restaurants. Born and raised in Florida in 2400 AD. I was trying to stop this. Stop this. <laughs> <laughs> I found it interesting that I was just going on, on my little spiel about Jamie not being able to do much of anything, but then Jamie here gets to kill some Cybermen. Total badass. <laughs> and he's doing it in a kilt and it makes me so happy. <laughs> Once they go down to seal up the Cybermen, Cleek follows and you've got the Doctor and Cleek talking and the Doctor's just feeding oh. his delusions and encouraging him and then he just goes and now i know you're mad i just wanted to make sure i thought that was brilliant that was excellent oh i loved it so much oh and we also get more victoria throwing shade at the captain yes that's scathing one of my favorite it's comforting to know that we have your superior strength to call on should we need it (laughs) right after he says i'm not going down there Oh, that was beautiful. Again, that's why I am enjoying her as of right now. We also get that very final scene of Kleegs, where he's being the most Eastern European communist stereotype, calling the Doctor and Jamie, who are obviously the representations of the West, he calls them decadent and weak, and then he's immediately (laughs) killed by the Cyberman. (laughs) And then we have uh, Toberman's sacrifice. I do like in part two of that fight where Toberman was previously thrown across the room by the Cybermen. Toberman now has cyber strength and can be stronger than the Cyberman. He also has a really cool ending line for that where he says, the door is closed. That was very, very awesome. Yes. And we get one final excellent thing from Victoria talking about the flying machine and saying, at least it works. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, snap. Nice. So the writers of this decided that they really wanted to have someone who was really snarky and they chose Victoria and that makes me so happy. I hope it continues. It was quite amazing when you think about it. Like she does have like quite a character arc in this story. When you think about it outside of like the uncomfortableness of changing out of her period clothes to something more modern, it's not appropriate for the time of where this archaeological crew is. But beside the point, I always think about that first scene when the tomb door opens and everyone else goes in. She's staying outside. She looks meek and scared. By the end, she's done all these badass things. And then she's like Julia's mission thrown snark out. That's quite a move for the character on just four episodes. I also really love at the very end of this, we get basically a the end kind of end. Or is it? (laughs) Yeah. Final Cybermat still moving around. Which brings us on to time to score the story. And Julie, I know you, you hate this, but you're up first. I thoroughly enjoyed this serial. It was fun. As we've mentioned, it's like a mummy movie, and I adore mummy movies, especially if we're talking about the Brendan Fraser mummy movies. <laughs> Victoria was very strong. You got your character moments with the Doctor and Jamie. You got music that was really well placed even though it wasn't really written for the serial i thought they did an excellent job yes maybe the the villain is a little bit obnoxious and a little bit stereotypical but i had fun so i am giving it nine out of ten open hatches wow riley you're up next this go round i'm 
more lukewarm about this serial. When I first watched it several years ago, I really, really enjoyed it. Maybe it's because it was my first real full viewing of The Second Doctor, and it was really exciting. The first two episodes of the serial are, are intriguing. They're incredibly well shot. I should have brought that up more in the beginning. The direction in this is fantastic. I mean, just even just with some of the dialogue scenes, there are at least three different shots they're doing it, not just your basic close-up, close-up, close-up. Uh, I think my complaint now, or my small criticism, is I feel that the momentum of the story drops a bit after the second episode, because we just get a whole bunch of Kleeg being Kleeg, and I wanted more of the Cybermen taking charge and less of Kleeg and Captain. But it is a complete serial for the second Doctor, and we should cherish it for that. There are so many other wonderful bits that everyone else mentioned, so I will give it eight basket of peaches out of ten. And Don, over to you. I'm going to use this time to address a criticism that you brought up in your short summary of the story, which is that the doctor, he wants to stop them from opening up the tomb and therefore opens up the tomb for them. The doctor doesn't care what Klieg and his associates are going to do. He sees a Cyberman tomb and he's going in there to assess if the Cybermen themselves are still a threat. And if so, stop them. And he does that. The people there were going to get in anyway. They weren't going to come all the way over this planet, see an electrified door, and then go home. That wasn't going to happen. I love this story. It's a mummy movie. It's fun. It's exciting. You've got some interesting dynamics going on between the characters. And there was never a point where I was bored or uninterested. I'm giving this nine cyber membranes out of ten. Yes. I'm going to address Don's addressing of my <laughs> short summary. That was, of course, Rebuttal. highly tongue-in-cheek. A- Anthony, 30-second rebuttal. I realize that, Go. but you're not the first to make that argument. I've seen Santa right. for do it, and I, I just like, no, that's not what happened. But that's okay. No, I just thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> which is what we're trying to do with that. Anyway, I also really enjoyed this one. I Remember, it certainly used to have an absolutely mythical status amongst fandom, and it's not quite as good as people used to think it was, but it is very good, very enjoyable. I think all the points that Riley made around it trailing off towards the end are valid, but it is a lot of fun, and it does evoke those mummy movies, which I also enjoy. I think we'll see a lot more of that kind of horror vibe over the next few stories. It just really works. The direction is good. The characters gel well together. Yes, we have some stereotypes, but they all work well. It's nice to see the Cybermen back, and it's nice to have them, like in their first appearance, to not really be the true antagonists of the story. So I'm going to have to give this one 8.5 poorly tied knots. Are you sure it's not 8.5 veiny cyberheads? I thought about that and figured that Don would never forgive me if I did that. (laughs) So I went with poorly tied knots, which gives us a story average of 8.63, which actually might be our highest rated story to date. We are once again out of time. We will be back next time when the show gets even more confused and decides to turn itself into a universal horror movie for six episodes. Thank you very much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Judy Philippep and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, the Cyberman Outreach Program, was recorded on Wednesday the 9th of September 2020. In the meantime, all of our previous episodes are available on your favourite podcasting app. 
You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D. And as a reminder, you can email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All three of those things really do help the show. And always remember, when things are starting to look a little too much like the mummy, it's probably best to get back in your spaceship and run as far away as possible.